Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Well, you heard the verses, or you actually participated in reading the verses, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 earlier. We looked at them last week. We're going to dive into them once again. Uh, just before we get into the heart of that focus, I uh, just want to point out a couple of things that we're just not able to focus on. Uh, Paul says this, number one, I, I encourage you to memorize Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Maybe some of you think, oh, like I'm terrible at memory. Take very short snippets, little spaces, and go over that. I literally have that on slides on my phone. And so I, before I go to bed or when I get up in the morning, I look at that, and you can just get out of your pocket, stare at that verse, get it going through your mind. And so I'd encourage you to memorize that as well as pray that for yourself as well as those around you, uh, loved ones in your family. Uh, Do that. Memorize it. Use it as a prayer for yourself and use it as a prayer for those around you as well. Also, uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, it says this, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. Paul says, I pray for you. And remember, this is in the book of Ephesians, way back when we were looking at the book of Revelation, uh, we pointed out where the town of Ephesus was. It's sort of in modern day Turkey. There'll be a little bit of a map on the screens. And so this is written to a real group of people uh, 2,000 years ago in the town of Ephesus. You can see it there toward the bottom. And, and so Paul was writing to these, this group of people who gathered together as followers of Jesus. And uh, he wrote this thou- 2,000 years ago, but it still has application to us today. Notice he says uh, in the verse again, may you have power together with all the Lord's holy people. So he's praying that together as they gather together. So there's something unique about the dynamic of us gathering together that enables or strengthens the work of God's spirit in our lives. Uh, One of the opportunities that Liv mentioned is discovering Southridge. Uh, Membership here at Southridge, what discovering Southridge is sort of the path to, is simply a commitment to this body, to gather together, to love, to serve one another, uh, to strengthen one another as we try to live our lives in obedience to Christ. That's what membership is. And so Paul is literally writing to these people who are gathered together, committed to these followers of Jesus, gathering of followers in Ephesus. That's who he's writing to. So I just really encourage you, whether you've been here a long time or a short time, just to check out Discovering Southridge and really consider saying, hey, I'm going to commit myself to gathering together to belong to this body, to strengthen and encourage others and, and to serve others. And by the way, also over the last several weeks, we've highlighted different groups. There's a lot of places to plug in. Some are once a month kind of gathering. Some are weekly. Uh, I think over the last several weeks, a number have been highlighted. There's Moms Mentoring Moms, Gathers 
once a month. Moms and daughters gather. I think it's, I don't know how many times a month. The Forge, fathers and sons. I think that's every other week. Let's talk marriage. That's once a month. Stewardship. I think it's a season of weeks. It's ongoing right now. SR Midweek happens on a Wednesday evening. We're actually looking at Ephesians. Really great conversations at our tables. There's life groups. There's home groups, there's campus groups that meet here on campus, we really encourage you to access some of those gathering together points, again, to foster growth in your own life and to help redirect your, your life to God. Uh, we're going to dive into the heart of what we're talking about this morning. Uh, we said last week that our culture, our modern day world, basically says that your heart, you should follow your heart. Whatever your heart prompts you to do, whatever your inner being directs you to do, the most authentic expression of yourself is to follow your heart. Uh, Steve Jobs, among many, many other people, famously said, there's no reason not to follow your heart. That is sort of the revealed truth, if you will, that our cultural message, our modern-day message says, follow your heart, be authentic to yourself. Scripture, on the other hand, says, yes, your heart, your inner being, that's significant, that's important. It, you know, in 30 years ago, it was just do your duty. Don't worry about your heart. Forget about your heart. Just do, your, just do what you're supposed to do. The gospel doesn't say that. The gospel also doesn't say, hey, just follow your heart. So the gospel doesn't say, don't worry about your heart. Just do your duty. Just live your life. Do what you're supposed to do. Gospel doesn't say that. Nor does the gospel say, hey, just follow your heart. The gospel says God is in the business of transforming our hearts, and our hearts actually need to be redirected, reshaped, rechanneled. You might know the word neuroplasticity that has the idea of the neurons in your brain and pathways and sort of like grooves that you're, are worn in your brain and your, how your neurons, your synapses fire. Uh, scripture would also say that your heart, your inner being has plasticity as well. Our modern world would say your heart doesn't have plasticity. It's locked in. It's determined. Simply follow your heart. Scripture says... Your heart has plasticity to it. It's got to be redirected, shaped, channeled, focused. We mentioned last week an article that Thaddeus Williams had written entitled, Do Not Follow Your Heart. And he listed a couple of reasons for that. I think we went over two last week. I'll just quickly go over three others this morning. First, a little bit of review. He says, number one, our hearts are too dull. Our hearts are too dull. Uh, David Foster Wallace called us lords of our tiny skull-sized kingdoms alone at the center of creation. And so if you just follow your inner being, if you just follow your heart, you're, simp- you're, you're being mastered by your tiny skull-sized kingdom. Like if you're just going to follow your heart, your freedom options are only limited to what happens in little you. Like, that's a pretty confining thing. He says, our hearts are too dull. Our hearts are too dithering. 
Our hearts are in a constant state of flux. They're always moving. If you're anything like me, you know that your heart isn't a static place. Kind of where your heart, where your being is one day is probably not where it is another day. There's an old adage that you can't step into the same river twice because if you step into that river, one second later, there's fresh water there because the river is always moving. And so scripture would say, you can't even step into your own heart twice. Because it's changing, it's constantly moving, it's constantly shifting. You have a dithering heart. I have a dithering heart. Our hearts are also too divided. This is somewhat related. But here's the deal. Some of us, sometimes our modern world says, like your heart is sort of unidirectional, and you're sort of in harmony with yourself, and every piece of you is in harmony with every other piece of you. Well, I don't know about you, but that's not how my inner being works. Instead of like one Nike's orchestra playing, my heart, my inner being, like sometimes plays radically different tunes. Like there's different things happening all at once. Someone said, if you're going to be true to yourself, what part of yourself are you going to be true to? If you're going to be true to yourself, okay, what part of yourself are you going to be true to? Because if you're anything like me, you're just this cacophony of different messages and and senses of what's happening in your being. It's a reason not to follow your heart. Fourth, our hearts are too delusional. The psychologist David Myers documents that most Americans view themselves, listen, most Americans, so more than 50%, view themselves as more intelligent, more ethical, and less prejudiced than their neighbors and peers. Well, like, you can only be more intelligent less prejudiced than only half the people, but like most of the people think they're better off than their peers. A what, listen to this, a whopping 94% of college professors, this is college intelligent people, believe themselves to be superior than their average colleagues. So 94% of college professors say, hey, like I'm smarter than the rest of my college, but 94%, like, like only 50% of them can be, 94% have that perception. Here's one. One college board survey asked 829,000 high school uh, seniors, it's a pretty big sampling, to rate their ability to get along with others. So 829,000, pretty big number. Hey, how do you get along with others? 100% rank themselves above average. I'm like... <laughs> 100% of people like, can't be above average. Only 50% can. But 100, your heart's delusional. My heart's delusional. Uh, you don't see the truth. I don't see the truth about myself. Lastly, our hearts are too depraved. Ecclesiastes 9.3 says, The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil. And listen, I love this. And there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Uh, You ever feel like our world feels insane? Uh, Another translation actually uses the word insanity. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there's insanity in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Like, your heart's kind of insane. Like, our world sometimes seems insane. Uh, Proverbs 28, 26 says, he who trusts in his own heart is actually a fool. So our modern world says, trust your heart, go with your inner being, trust the internal self. Scripture actually says, if you do that, you're you're kind of a fool because your heart's delusional. It's off track. It's it's dithering. It's dull. It's all of that stuff. 
Why do I bring that up? Because in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3, verses 14 through 21, Paul talks and he prays about our hearts, our inner being. In Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, he gives us all this incredible truth about who Christ is and who we are. He talks about who we are in Christ, that we're seated with Christ in heavenly realms. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Paul reminds us of all of that in Ephesians 1 and 2. And then in chapter 3, he prays that all of those facts, all the truths of who God is, that they would grip our inner beings and our inner beings, our hearts, who we are, would be shaped by them. That would have an impact on us. So we're going to look at three things this morning. Uh, hopefully we're going to move this through this fairly quickly. We're going to talk about the who, who Paul's praying to, the what, what's he praying for, and the how. And we're going to cover these, but like I think down here is kind of where most of us struggle and kind of wrestle a little bit with our lives. And so we're hopefully going to spend some time in this. First, who? Uh, Paul says this, verses 16 through and 17. I listened, as we read these verses, notice the number of times God is referred to as the who of Paul is praying to. Remember, he starts out this whole section about kneeling before the Father in heaven. So he's talking to the Father. Listen, he says, I pray that out of his, it's God, that's the who, glorious riches, he, there it is again, just a few words later, may strengthen you with power through his spirit, there's again two words that reference God, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He talks about his glorious riches. He may strengthen you, power through his spirit, and Christ Christ may dwell in your hearts. Paul is saying that this whole thing of our inner beings being transformed, shaping our hearts, any capacity to do that in a helpful way comes as a gift from God. You cannot redirect your soul. You cannot redirect your spirit. You cannot redirect your inner being. You cannot redirect your heart on your own. You'll be frustrated. Uh, it'll, it'll be hindered. It only comes from God, the ability to have your inner being, your soul, your heart transformed. It's the only source. And by the way, notice how, how the H person of the Trinity is mentioned in this verse. That like every aspect of who God is, the one God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all actively involved in transforming your inner being. You don't have a chance to do this by your own power. It has to come from the who of God because only he has actually enough power to transform at least my and your twisted, dull, crazy heart. And if you're anything like me, you know your heart's a little bit crazy and you can't change it. It can only come from God. So notice, he's praying this to his glorious riches. He, that's the Father, may strengthen you with power through his, the Father's spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, so that Christ second person of the Trinity, may dwell in your hearts through faith. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You need the power of a triune God to actually redirect, reorient, and change your inner being. It's impossible to do that. In one sense, our culture is exactly right. Follow your heart because your heart can't be changed. In one sense, that's kind of true, 
without the power of God. So that's the who. What is he talking about? Um, look at verses 20 and 21. Now to him, by the way, notice again, this is uh, referencing God, but God focused, that goes, he goes back to the who there for a moment. Now to him, here it is, who is able to do, we're talking about the what, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his, notice again, God focused, that's where it comes from, his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. So again, notice the, Paul's focused on the who. This isn't just a passing thing. That's a big deal for Paul. But, but what is the what? He says, to him who is able, here's the what, to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Now, now here's the deal. Let's have a moment of honesty. You probably have a hard time accepting that, and here's why. Because all of us have at one point prayed for someone, maybe with cancer, uh, maybe someone with a serious physical illness, and it's not rocket science, you don't need a rocket science brain to imagine them being healed of cancer. And so you think, like, immeasurably more, like imagining my friend or my loved one to be healed of cancer, like that's a pretty lower rung on the ladder aspect of my imagination, and it's pretty measurable. And so God has not come through beyond my imagination or immeasurably more. Because I've asked things that I can pretty easily imagine that are very obvious, and God hasn't come through on that. Like, why can he or how can he be trusted? Immeasurably more. Maybe you think, man, I can kind of imagine being in a better career than what I am. Maybe you imagine, I can imagine having a better spouse or having a better spouse at all than what I have. Maybe you say, I can imagine getting into a better school than what I got into. I can imagine having a more harmonious family than what I have. And so who are you to tell me that God can do immeasurably more than all I can ask or imagine when I've sort of asked for a lot of things and imagined a lot of things that are pretty measurable, and God hasn't come through. Well, in our modern minds, this is often how we take this, but, but notice what else happens in this verse. He says, now to him who is able to do, here it is, the what, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, what's the next couple words? That is at work within us. And so Paul's barometer is his temperature gauge of how God is going to do immeasurably more than all we ask or think is not tied to all I can ask or think on the outside of me in terms of circumstances. In this text specifically, he's saying it's his power doing immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine is actually tied, what is it? to his work within us. So the what is, hey, it's, it's not God's going to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. You know, pray for somebody to get healed with cancer and they're going to get healed. Pray for a great job. And God's going to do like, get me more money and a better spouse and going to be healthy. Like, 
That's not where Paul is. He says, immeasurably more according to his power that that is at work within us. In other words, his power to reshape, transform, direct your heart is actually what's immeasurably more. Notice again, verses 16 and 17, we looked at them earlier. Just to go back there and review, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Where? In your inner being. That's what, he's, that's what the immeasurably more is. It's your inner being. It's within you. Notice also back there in 16 and 17, so that Christ may dwell where in your hearts. He's talking about your heart. He's talking about your inner being. He's talking about the dynamic in you that our modern world says is unchangeable. You're locked in. You can't change. You can't redirect your heart. No, Paul is saying the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can actually do immeasurably more in your inner being, in your heart, than you can ask or imagine. So that brings us to this. Well, how how does that work? Like, how does that happen? Because if you're anything like me, you're probably sometimes frustrated with that and like, do, do... Followers of Jesus in general see immeasurably more happening in their lives. And I think particularly in our era, if we simply become speakers of true data, speakers of true facts, and there's not some sort of immeasurably more happening in our being, our world around us has every right to sort of question whether or not we're the truth of the gospel really is true. I mean, anybody can say, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. That's truth. That's a fact we believe in. But if that's not sort of being expressed in some sort of immeasurably more way in our hearts and souls, people have a right to say, eh, like, not really sure the whole thing is up to snuff. Also, God's not interested in just memorized facts. He's actually interested in what's happening in your heart, your soul, your being. And so the question I ask myself as well as you, is there immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine? Do you have this immeasurably more sense of delight in the beauty and the wonder, the love of who God is? So what is the how? Notice it happens at the end of verses 16 and 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. What's the how? Through faith. That's the how. So the who, God is the initiator, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The what, it's immeasurably more in terms of the way that he transforms our lives and hearts. He he redirects and reorients. How does that happen? It happens through faith in Christ. By the way, just one more back thing, one more thing about the what again. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. As we said last week, this isn't a, like, like, dear Jesus, please be my savior thing. That's important, yes. But this, what Paul is saying is, so that the reality of who Christ is can dwell in you. Not just so that you have this memorized fact that Jesus is God, But the reality, the beauty, the wonder 
of who Jesus is, that that would permeate your being like the smell of a stink bug permeates the room, that would permeate every aspect of your being in a beautiful way. That you would be filled with a sense of the peace of Christ because if Christ is dwelling in your heart, Christ is a person of peace. So do you have peace in your heart? Of confidence in the Father's love and joy and delight in the Father's love because Christ had perfect confidence, perfect assurance in the Father's love. So if if his presence is living in your life, You'll have this air of confidence and joy in the Father's love no matter what happens around you. So you have just this beautiful sense of confidence and assurance of of walking in the smile of God's face on you. Because Jesus, no matter what happened, understood that he was deeply loved, that his, his life was deeply pleasing to the Father. And so if the spirit of Christ lives in you, it means you have the sense of of God delighting in you. And that's the immeasurably more than what Paul is talking about. So how does it happen? Well, it happens as we meditate, as we give. It happens through faith. And what faith means is that we, we trust, we meditate, we dive into, we saute ourselves, we marinate ourselves, we stew ourselves in the truth of who Jesus is. Maybe it can help uh, explain it this way. Just imagine for a second uh, you have a gift card, and maybe it's to a restaurant, maybe it's to a store, whatever it is, you have a gift card. So, so let's kind of like use the gift card to go through all of us. Okay. For the gift card to be in your hands, somebody had to initiate that. Somebody actually gave that to you. Somebody actually went out, bought a gift card, and they gave it to you. That's the who. You don't have the gift card unless somebody else took the initiative, and it's their power, it's their strength, it's their resources that places the gift card in your hands. Same thing with belief in Jesus. How our hearts transformed can't be by ourselves. It literally takes the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to transform your heart, to bring your inner being to see the beauty of... You can't do that. It's got to come from a who. So we all get so far? The who of a gift card. Secondly, the what? Well, I don't know how many... uh, cards there are, but there's a lot of gift cards, and maybe they're to a place to eat, uh, maybe to buy some merchandise, whatever. So the what is what they're gifting you with. Maybe it's at a, a dinner at a fairly nice place to eat. Uh, maybe it's Lowe's, maybe it's Home Depot, maybe it's Walmart, maybe it's Tractor Supply Company, whatever it is. That's the what. That's sort of the, the stuff that you have access to because the who gave you the gift card. Are we on track so far? Well, a little bit of the challenge is when you get to the how, and I don't know the date on this, I know there is data out there, but like, I forget the amount of billions of dollars of gift cards that are flowing in our culture <clears throat> that nobody ever utilizes, right? And there's lots of gift cards that really never get, because the who, they can give it to you. 
The what? They've given you whatever the goods are, the nice dinner, but you never really experience that until you actually go to the restaurant, until you actually go to the store, and you actually take that gift card, and you, you actually, here's what you do. You have faith in the gift card that's going to work, and once you exercise that faith, then the gift card is activated, and you actually have access to the what they're giving you. Same thing is true with our Christian life. If it, the, the, the how is not activated through simply knowing. The how is not activated even through simply believing something to be true. The how is activated, what does the text say? Through faith in Christ, through, through trusting in him, through giving yourself to him, through embracing him. When we say embrace God's grace, that's not a quick deal. That's actually a lifelong journey of living through faith in Christ and trusting in him, of letting his beauty, his goodness flow into your soul. Friends, I just gotta say, like we're pretty bad at this because, and here's why, uh, we live in a digital age and so if something is not accessible to us instantaneously with the swipe or click of a button, we move on. And so our tendency is, yeah, like I know Jesus died for me. I know he loves me. I know I'm forgiven. I know he has a purpose for my life. Okay, like done with that. Check, check, check. What's next? And, and our, our modern world would say, like, just go with what you feel. Trips is like time out. You got to like camp here. Because faith is not simply, it doesn't say knowing Christ. It says, by faith, him existing in your heart. So it's not just like knowing facts and data about the gospel. It's actually taking the time to give your life to that truth. And that's what it means to truly have faith. You know, one of the things we try to do here at Southridge is... Um, realize our limitations. And so we sometimes quote people in our modern world. Uh, this idea actually comes from a guy named John Owen who lived in the 1600s. So well over 400 years ago, here's what he says. He says, fix your minds on God's word. And this is the quote. He says, persist in spiritual thoughts unto your refreshment. He says, don't just like splash yourself with the truth of God's word. Persist in thinking about God. Persist in meditating on it. Like don't give up on that until your soul is refreshed, until you have some sense of the beauty of Christ dwelling in your heart. I love this quote from another person, he says, wrestle, I love this, wrestle with your own sluggish soul. Our culture would say, like, don't wrestle with your soul, just go wherever your soul wants to go. He says, no, like, your soul is sluggish. It doesn't move very well. He says, wrestle with your own sluggish soul. Direct it, turn it, grapple with it until it does what it's supposed to do. Opposite message from a modern world. Modern world, hey, just go with your heart and soul. Scripture, wrestle with it, 
Grapple with it. It's sluggish. Don't quit wrestling until it does what it's supposed to do. Like, like don't leave off meditating on Christ until you have some sense of that truth being ignited in your soul. Because that's what the definition of faith is. And then God does more than we can ask or imagine. So let me finish. Yeah, grapple with it until it does what it's supposed to do and feels more like it's supposed to feel about the wonders and horrors of the word of God. Now, realistically, I realize that we cannot ultimately be at the authority of our emotions, and this isn't just emotional connection. This is a kind of a deepened sense or, or conviction of the beauty and goodness of God. But I think many of us just give up way too soon. We kind of equate knowing as that which should transform us, but Scripture never says knowing it. It says having faith in it, giving yourself to it, stepping into the reality of it, truly embracing it. Tim Keller, in commenting on John Owen, says, meditate to the point of delight. I don't know about you, but in our modern world, we don't meditate on anything. If it's not instantly accessible, if it's not instantly achievable, we're done. Keller says, Referencing John Owen, and John Owen and sort of like putting his thoughts into a couple words. He says, meditate on it, stew in it, marinate on it. Let it seep into you until the point of delight. When's the last time you kind of sat your rear end in a chair or took a walk and said, I am going to force my sluggish mind and heart to grapple with the beauty of Christ until I have some sense of delight in his beauty and goodness. That's what Paul says brings about the immeasurably more than all we can ask or think. Well, there's no better morning than this to celebrate communion. And so we're going to do that next. And during communion, we take a, a wafer that represents bread. We take a cup of juice that represents the blood that Jesus gave. And we eat the bread, we eat the wafer, we drink the juice to bring ourselves into the reality of the concreteness of Jesus' love for us. When the apostle Paul says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He's not talking about an intellectual awareness. He's not talking about like, shoot, I forgot. When he says, do this in remembrance of me, the idea of remember in ancient languages was the idea of, of literally diving into the reality once more again. And so when we take communion, we literally take our sluggish soul I think it's Oswald Chambers who says, you got to grab yourself by the scruff of the neck. And as much as your mind wants to wander, as much as your mind wants to say, I heard it a thousand times, it's nothing new. As much as your mind wants to go there and check out, you actually wrestle with your heart. You, wrestle, you stubbornly refuse 
to let your heart and mind and spirit stray from focusing on the beauty, the goodness of Christ. As you come and get the elements and we invite any person who is a follower of Jesus to participate, if you know, you're kind of new to Southridge, you just prefer not to, that's totally fine. Just relax, hang out during this part of the service. We're good with that. But for those of you who would like to participate, Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I've known that verse decades, and you probably a number of you have too. What I want to tell you during communion, get a hold of your sluggish soul, wrestle with it, drag your soul to the depths of that truth. God loves you. It's not check. Swim in that. Drag your soul to that. Sit in it. Walk in it. Stew in it. While you were still a sinner, while you were just ridiculous, couldn't stand him, had no thought of God, Christ died for you. You know what that means? You know how deeply you're loved? Have you stood in that for a while? Have you meditated on that to the point of delight? Or have you swiped right and moved on to the next thing? So as we take communion, meditate on this. Swim in it, stew in it. As you take the elements back to your seat, take your sluggish soul and direct it. Grab yourself by the scruff of the neck and wrestle. Wrestle that truth in your life, saying, I will trust that. I'm going to trust that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Make sense? So why don't we get up? Let's be a little congested. That's fine. Move to one of the stations. Take a cup of juice and wafer back to your seat, and then we'll, we'll take it together. And again, there's going to be a little congestion of people moving around. It's cool. That's fine. It's, we're together. We're part of the body of Christ, and this is a body thing.
In Ephesians 1, 7, Paul says this. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Has it been a while since you gotten your sluggish soul by the scruff of the neck and meditated on the riches of God's grace that that has been lavished on you? Have you meditated to the point of delight on the lavishness of God's grace? Or is that something you check off and move on? As we take the wafer and a cup of juice, as we take these, let's redirect our sluggish souls. Let's grab ourselves by the scruff of the neck. Let's let's meditate on the lavish riches of God's grace expressed in Christ so that we are redeemed. Let's meditate on that to the point of delight. Let's take these together. Stand with me, and we're going to sing this last song of In Christ Alone. And that just reminds us again of the who. Comes from God. That we're brought into rich relationship with him. And that we access that by faith. We access that by belief, by trust, by giving ourselves to the truth of the gospel. Let's sing this together. Till on that cross as Jesus 
for joining us this morning. Uh, it's a pleasure to worship with you all to, in community. Um, if you need prayer, uh, we'd love to pray with you uh, down here to the left. And uh, yeah, go uh, this week um, just with the idea of an open heart to, to let God uh, lead your soul, your mind uh, in his ways for his purpose. And uh, yeah, we just God bless you and have a great rest of your week.